following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. What are we doing today? Today we're going to continue in our series. It's called, What is God Doing? And we have uh, looked so far at the story of Joseph and Moses, uh, and we've seen they had a lot of opportunities where they could have shook their fists towards heaven and said, what is God doing? But as we see over and over again, God's mighty power and unmatched goodness play out as he is faithful to his promises. The hope is, as we see that, as we look at these stories and we see that over and over again faithfulness of God, the hope is that we will live in a posture of humility for the rest of our days. And that as we go through trials, we will ask, what is God doing? In faith and in hope that the answer is deeper and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Uh, As the life of Moses comes to an end in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, I hope you're still turning to Joshua too. Uh, At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses' life comes to an end, and then Joshua, the son of Nun, becomes Israel's next chosen leader. And as they begin their advance into the promised land, the lens focuses onto the story of Rahab. Now, in, in my personal opinion, Rahab is severely underrated by many in terms of her importance and overall role in the redemptive narrative of Scripture. I'm going to propose today that Rahab is a central biblical figure of great importance, and I I am really excited to show you why today. So what I want to do is read all of Joshua chapter 2 with you. It's not very long, and uh, then we'll get into this together, okay? Let's do it. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed." When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's 
household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our life for yours if you do not tell this business of ours and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, we shall be free from this oath to which you have made us swear unless when we come into the land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who gets out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you've made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they related to them all that happened to them. They said to Joshua, surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Praise God for his word. Amen. Now, I, I, I know some of you might be thinking one chapter? Like that's it? How is Rahab then a central biblical figure with only one chapter devoted to her story? And I would say that is a good question, but my first answer would be that she shows up again in chapter 6, uh, as her families are indeed spared by the armies of Israel. But it's not so much that. It is, it is where and how she is mentioned later in the scriptures that helps lead to the conclusion that I'm proposing today. And we'll get more into that as we unpack this. Today with you, I want to look at three aspects of Rahab's life. Uh, and I'm hoping that these will increase our trust in both God's power and his goodness. Because trusting in God's power and goodness are keys to keeping us in that hopeful and humble posture that we've been discussing throughout this entire series. So the three aspects I want to talk to you about are her faith, her legacy, and her redemption. Her faith, legacy, and redemption. So the first is her faith. Would you turn your attention back to uh, Verses 8 through 11 with me. Let's read those one more time. It says this, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. We are not given details about Rahab's religion before this, but part of the reason that God gave this land to Israel and judged its inhabitants by sending in their armies to destroy or remove them 
was because of the pagan worship of demons like Baal and Molech. For generations, these people had done evil and detestable things like child sacrifice, uh, other various unspeakable sexual abuses and perversions, and these things aroused the Lord's anger. He's always angry about sin because sin leads to the destruction of people whom he loves. Uh, So this has gone on for generations, and, and it doesn't look like there was any sign of them turning from these ways except, of course, in the case of Rahab. There, there is some similarity to this story uh, in comparing it to Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot pleads with God to spare the city if he can find even a small number of people there that are willing to repent and to turn from their wickedness. What happens? He couldn't. He couldn't even find a small number of righteous people or people willing to repent. And so God, knowing that they would only continue training future generations in evil and the destruction that it brings, he wiped them out. But what we have to ask ourselves here is is what caught Rahab's attention? She's in the midst of a, a context where they had religious structures. They had their own gods. What caught her attention? It was the accounts of God's might and power in parting the Red Sea and crushing the enemies of his people. She said here that all the inhabitants of the land had heard these things, but yet you have the king of Jericho and others still trying to fight against God and his people. They weren't looking to turn away. They weren't looking to turn to God. Now, Rahab at this point may not have had faith in God's goodness, but she sure had faith in his power. And that was enough for her. She did not wag her finger at these spies and scream, what is your God doing? In an accusatory tone because of what was happening. She had seen and heard of his power on display. And that brought with it a a humility and an understanding that this this is the God of heaven and the God of earth. This, This was her statement. She simply said, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. God's power convinced her. God's power moved her to faith in a declaration. This is a faith declaration. The Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, even without the demonstration of God's power in events like the Red Sea, Romans 1 says that we can all see the unmatched might and grandeur of God in all that he has created. And so the question for each one of us, in light of that, is, will we ignore him? Will we see him and look away? Or will we acknowledge and revere him, as Rahab did? Those are the options. Only one makes sense, in light of God's absolute power. The undeniable power of God caused Rahab to position herself in submission to him. The question to us today, friends, is have we come to the same wise and faith-filled conclusion? I hope we will. If you haven't, I hope you will. I hope you'll take these things into consideration. Rahab said a God that powerful is, is the God. 
These are the things we need to think through. This is what we need to respond to. The second thing I want to show you is her legacy. So that was her faith. We're going to talk about her legacy. And this is where things get a little deeper and a lot more interesting. At the time of this account, right, where she hides the spies and she ends up saving her family, Rahab Rahab is not married or a mother. But we know that this changes after she and her family are brought into the people of Israel and they're accepted among them. That is recorded in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. It says, However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. And so they brought her in. They kind of adopted her family into the people of Israel. Now, not much else is said about Rahab as you move forward through the Old Testament history, but something very interesting happens. When you get to the first chapter of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, let me read this to you. This is uh, starting in verse, verse 1, chapter 1 of Matthew. Okay, here we go. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay? This is Jesus the Messiah. This is his genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. Woo, buddy! If you think these genealogies aren't important, man, you've got to reconsider your position because we just learned something. And it's real important. Besides Mary and Tamar, there are only two mamas mentioned in this whole list. Rahab and Ruth, that should catch our attention. There's a whole bunch of generations where just the dads are talked about, and then, it's, then it says, boom, we got Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. So we see Rahab and Ruth getting listed in this genealogy. Now, why, why is it that there's mostly just the dads? Well, that is a feature of ancient societies, and that's the way they did genealogies. And so this is kind of a break from tradition that Ruth and Rahab's name get put in here. What, is that, what does that mean? Why, why, is there, why all the rest of those generations, was it okay just to say who the dad was, but somebody decided, Matthew decided to make a point to say that uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. What do we learn here? Well, To some degree, you have to know the story of Ruth to understand why this is so profound. So the book of Ruth uh, comes right after Joshua here in in the line of Scripture. Ruth was a Moabite, and so she was married to to the, the son of Naomi, Okay, and they, they traveled and left the, the protection of Israel uh, and they were off in a foreign land. Naomi's husband dies. The uh, Malon and Kilion, the husbands, they, they die. So now Ruth is a widow, Naomi's a widow. So basically the, it comes down to Ruth saying to Naomi, okay, now your people are going to be my people. My God's going to be your God. And 
she goes back with Naomi. So Naomi is a native of Israel, but, but Ruth is not. Ruth's a Moabite, okay? And that means she's pagan. And aside from that, the Moabite women had a, a negative connotation and reputation with in Israel. And so they go back and uh, they're having a hard time, but Ruth, Ruth is dedicated. So she's taking care of Naomi. She's out gleaning in the fields. Uh, and, and basically that means in that time that there was regulations where they had, to, they had to leave some behind as they harvested their crops for the poor. And so, you know, Ruth's out there getting what little bit she can so they can live. Uh, but this guy shows up. His name is Boaz. And he notices her. And uh, he takes an interest in her. And it, it turns out that, you know, in, in that time there was, there was an expectation where if, if somebody's, if a husband died, then one of his relatives should come in as a kinsman redeemer. And, and what that meant is would, they, they would marry that wife who was left a widow because in that culture and in that time it was very tough to be a widow. And so there's an expectation there. And if they had children, then, then they would become actually by adoption that relative's children, oftentimes a brother. Uh, somebody passed up on the opportunity to redeem Ruth and then Boaz steps in and becomes that kinsman redeemer. And that's really important because if you, as you follow down the genealogy, Boaz and Ruth hook up. They have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David. And if you know the rest of the genealogy, you can follow David all the way on down to Jesus. So it's really, really important that when Naomi and Ruth's husbands died, and they go back and, and basically would have been social outcasts forever, that Boaz steps up, doesn't care about the stigma of Ruth being a Moabite woman, and is willing to love her and redeem her. Here's what's real interesting about that. Why do you think Boaz was different? Than, why did he think different about that? Why was he willing to see Ruth as somebody that's valuable, even though there was this idea that she was a Moabite and, and that was stigmatized? Could it be perhaps that as you read the genealogy, Boaz's mother was who? Rahab, a harlot from Jericho. Come on now, a pagan brought in and adopted into the people of Israel. Come on. Do you see God working? Do you see the power of God? Do you see him laying out this stuff in detail that just can't be made? You can't make this stuff up. Too, you get too many coincidences, it starts to be silly to call it a coincidence. Amen. So what is, why does that matter? How does that apply? A couple things. First of all, you're starting to see how Rahab's life can, can tie in very nicely to a Mother's Day sermon, which is awesome. But think about this fact that the situation with the spies was before she ever knew she would be married. She probably, because of her profession and stigma, I mean, scholars argue about what harlot means here. You know, it's one of those things that... Um, we Christian nerds like to argue about. So we're not totally sure, but I mean, harlot's not a good thing, right? Whatever it exactly meant. It wasn't a great thing, and there's a chance she was already stigmatized among her own people and probably never thought she would be married or loved uh, in that way. So she didn't think she was probably going to be married or have children. What does that mean? It means that way before you're even thinking about that, I'm talking to you folks right now who are not yet married, who desire to be married, um, what you do now matters. Rahab, Rahab wasn't thinking, oh, well, I, I, see this, 
I see this mighty God who is God of heaven and, and God of earth, and, and these are his spies, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get on their team, and I'm going to try to serve this God, because hopefully you know, that means I'll have children one day, and, and then maybe my children will have children, and their children will have children, and then the Savior of the world will come out of that whole thing. She wasn't thinking all that. But friends, what I'm saying is it matters. What you do matters right now. What you do in serving the Lord faithfully. What you do in turning from sin and trusting in Jesus and living your life for His glory and for His purposes. The fact that she did that then, the fact that she walked that path of obedience then, the fact that she submitted herself humbly to God then meant that she was brought into the people of Israel, that she met Salomon, right? And that she gave birth to Boaz. And that Boaz was able to meet and redeem Ruth. And they were able to conceive Obed, who then had Jesse, who then had David. And on down the line to King Jesus himself. Boy, God's good. Man, if you haven't shouted amen or been excited about this yet, you either haven't been listening to me or you need to go get some coffee or do something, man. Wake up, because this is shouting material right here. This, is a, this has amen all over it. So say it. Rattle everyone. Maybe you're not an amener. Rattle everybody in your living room, your bedroom right now if you're with people. Just go ahead. Shout amen real loud. Shake everything up in there. If you don't have anybody in there with you, just type it. All caps. Go ahead. Go wild, man. Be awesome. So one application is for those that are not yet parents, either not yet married or not yet parents. It matters what you do now. The second application of all that is, is how we approach the joyous privilege and responsibility of raising children it sends an echo down through the generations. Rahab's influence on Boaz, how she raised him clearly to be a tender man and not to feed into stigmas and not to treat people like trash because everybody else does. Clearly that had an effect. That had an effect that allowed Boaz to not care about all the jeering in the community and all the people that would look down on him for loving Ruth and taking her in and marrying her didn't care. And it matters. That echoed on down through generations. Just keep reading the genealogy. I stopped at Jesse and David, but keep on going because it goes Solomon and on and down and down and down and down. It comes to Jesus, man. It matters greatly. And so how we approach the joyous privilege and responsibility of raising children, it will send an echo down through generations. The third thing I said I wanted to talk to you about is her redemption. Now, I know that some of you may be tempted to feel condemned and hopeless at this point because you're taking to heart the reality that I said how we approach the joyous privilege and responsibility of caring for our children and training them that it's going to echo for generations. And so some of you are feeling that and, and you're taking that seriously and, and you're feeling condemned and hopeless because you don't feel like maybe you've done a good job at parenting. If you're feeling condemned about that, you're feeling hopeless about that, let me say this to you with absolute certainty. This is never God's will for you to feel like that. That is not the point. He does not want you to be condemned. He does want you to be convicted. Conviction is different than condemnation because condemnation leaves you feeling hopeless. Conviction always comes along with the hope and the help of the Holy Spirit to grow and to change. You, you might be thinking, well, what is it? What good does that do me if I've already raised my kids and maybe I already feel like I did a bad job? Let's, uh, 
Let's just think about that for a minute. Pause that right there, okay? In order to deal with that and this, and this whole idea of her redemption, let me, let me ask you this question, because there, there, is, there is a debate around this story of Rahab that uh, it'll help us frame this whole idea well, okay? Let me ask you this. Is it okay to lie to stop a greater evil? Is the story of Rahab a, a example of God being morally inconsistent? Because Rahab did lie, didn't she? To protect the two spies. She said, oh yeah, they came in, but I don't know where, I don't know where they went. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> right? No, she went farther than that. She didn't just say, I don't know where they went. She said, I don't know where they went. They left, but I tell you what, you should chase them because you'll probably catch them. All the while knowing that they were on her roof. And so what do we, what do, we do with that? What, is, what does that mean? Because God clearly blessed her. She was brought into the people of Israel, right? Uh, more than that, <laughs> she becomes a, a central part of God's unfolding plan of redemption. So the question is, is it okay to, to lie to stop a greater evil? Is it, is it just a little white lie to stop a, a big evil thing from happening? Because had she not lied, the, the spies would have been obviously killed. Um, and is the fact that God didn't judge her right then and there for that, or the fact that it, you know, seems like he blesses her, what does that mean? How, what do we take away from that? Well, there are those that have said, yes, that's the exchange. Basically, if you got a lie to stop a greater evil than, that, than what that lie is, well, that's, that's what you do. Friends, the Bible here reports that she lies, but it doesn't ever condone it. It doesn't say, Rahab did a great job because she lied. That's not the point. The point is, first of all, I think, so take this into consideration. If you were somebody that was making up a fictitious uh, religious text, would you have so many of its heroes have such glaring faults? (laughs) Like, wouldn't you just scrub this from it? And wouldn't you notice that this seems to create some kind of moral dilemma? Doesn't it, wouldn't you have noticed, oh, well, at first glance, if you're making this up, it's like, okay, well, Rahab lies, and that's what saves the spies, and then, it, then God blesses her. So, but God said in the Ten Commandments, right, don't bear false witness. So wouldn't you think somebody would have just scrubbed that up? Maybe she just hid them, and then that way they didn't find them. But they, the Bible, it explicitly and specifically includes this fact that Rahab lied. Why? It would be so much cleaner to just leave that out. Well, maybe it's because it's true. (laughs) But what do we do with that? How do we think about that? Friends, the fact that Rahab lied and and, and all that happens after that, it, it it is part of why she's so central to the Bible's core message of redemption. Rahab was a harlot and she was a liar, but God redeemed her and used her as a key player in his plan of salvation. <laughs> Here's, so I said that laying all of that out was going to help the parents perhaps feeling condemned. That's, this is what you have to see. This is what you have to understand. God is a God of redemption. And God works in and through all kinds of things, including the places where you were imperfect as a parent. 
including the places where I'm imperfect as a parent right now, trying to love and raise my kids to know and worship Jesus. This doesn't mean that we just sit back on our haunches and say, oh, okay, well, God will fix it so I don't have to try. No, no, no. We love God. We love our kids. And so we do the best we can. We continue to seek to grow in grace and in the ability to love our children and point them towards Jesus and his gospel. But we are all going to fall far short of perfection, the same way Rahab did. But what a beautiful picture of redemption we see here. We talked earlier about God's power being evident in creation and in big events like the Red Sea. But what about this? What about in, in, in the fact that it, it just so happened to be a scarlet thread that she used to lower the spies out of the window? And by the way, not just a scarlet thread that she lowered the spies out the window with in order to save their lives, but then furthermore, that same scarlet thread was tied in the window to signal their salvation from the coming death and destruction. Last week we talked about Moses and the blood being put over the door. Come on now. Do you, do you think that the Lord didn't purposely make sure there was a scarlet thread in her house? I'm not saying he had to actively do it. I'm saying that before time began, he knew exactly how this was going to play out. God's so big, he can move red seas. God's so big, he can create cosmos. And God's so big, he can deal with what color rope you got in your house. Woo! That is a powerful God. Not just a God that can pop up on the scene and do some old big stuff. I'm talking about a God that works in even the fine little minute details that thousands of years later, we would read that the very thread she saved them spies with and the thread she tied in her window that met the salvation of her family. Mm, come on! Scarlet red. Mm-mm-mm. You might be thinking, man, you sure seem excited about that, but I'm still not sure. I'm not necessarily convinced that Rahab's story is as big a deal as you're saying. Well, let's, I appreciate your careful skepticism. Keep that, okay? And I mean that. Don't, don't just take anything anybody says. For, you know, study, man. Be a noble Berean. But your, your careful skepticism in, in this case... Let me just knock it down for you real quick, okay? I'm going to do that, all right? Praise the Lord. Let's read Hebrews from Hebrews 11. This is commonly referred to as the hall of faith, okay? What am I responding to? If, if you've heard everything I said and you're like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know if Rahab's really a central figure in, in God's overall redemptive story, man. I think you might be stretching it there. Okay, let me, let me hit you with this. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, 
He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not pass over and the sprinkling of the blood, so, so, that, he would, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith... Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight." Let me help you with something. The writer of Hebrews, which is contested, we're not going to get into all that, thought it important enough enlisting in this hall of faith. Who we got? We got heavy hitters in here. We got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. Man, look who came up like second up behind her honorable mention. They didn't even get their story laid out. Let's look at some names. Gideon, that's a pretty big deal. Barak, Samson, David and Samuel and the prophets? Man, all they got was honorable mention. Here we see Rahab listed in their ranks, man. What are we talking about? This is a pivotal part. This whole deal, these spies showing up, and Rahab in faith responding to the power of God, even in the midst of knowing that everything she knows, everything around her is about to be destroyed. And that, that that God that she's now coming to trust his power at least is about to do it. She hides the spies in faith. She ties the scarlet cord in faith. Amen. Why was Rahab not judged for her evil ways and lying? Why was she not judged? Was it because God just gave her a pass? No. It's the same way anybody avoids the wrath of God. It was by faith. It was by faith that Rahab found favor in God's eyes. It was by faith that she was adopted into the people of Israel. It was by faith that Salmon married her. That they had a child named Boaz who married a girl named Ruth. They had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. Through, from whose lineage came Jesus Christ, the King of all kings. <laughs> it's by faith. God was working in Rahab and Salmon's time, and Ruth and Boaz's time, and in Obed's time, and in Jesse's time, and in David's time. He was working, and he was weaving this tapestry of redemption that... And woven throughout that tapestry, through the whole thing, is that blood-red thread of redemption. That scarlet thread, which finds its magnificent fulfillment in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our King. Friends, it's always been, always has been about God's plan of redemption, the culmination of which, the apex of which is the beautiful truth of the gospel. All of this, the fact that Rahab could turn in faith to trust in this God whom she did not even know well enough to know that he was good yet, that she could trust his power, that she could surrender to him, and that 
the death that came to everyone around her would be passed over because of that, what was it? That scarlet thread in her window. That she could be brought in and be adopted into Israel. And that out of that, God would continue. Not only, not only was she spared, not only was she brought in, but she's used by God in a way that she could have never possibly imagined. How's that possible? It's possible because all through this Old Testament story of redemption unfolding, we see God pointing forward. He's showing his hand. He's pointing us forward to the, the culmination of all this. Jesus coming, living a perfect life, dying in our place and rising from the grave, shedding his scarlet red blood so that we might be saved. It all ties together, friends. And it's beautiful. Rahab started out only able to respond in faith to God's unmatched power. But in the end, she also tasted and trusted in his great goodness. May we follow her lead by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for Joshua chapter 2. Thank you that you knew how important it was for us to know the details of those spies coming into Jericho and Rahab hiding them away and tucking them away. Thank you for what we see in that. Lord, that you're not just a God that's so powerful that you can create all things with your words and that you can, you can move in and part seas. God, you're so powerful that you work in the minute details of your creation. Down to the fact that Rahab had scarlet rope in her house, that she lived on the city wall. Thank you, God, for what we see in Rahab's life, that by faith, Lord, you redeemed her, that you forgave her. I thank you, God, that redemption takes us away from these false these false fights that people get into over, over morality or saying that you're morally inconsistent because Rahab wasn't punished. Lord, you are just and you are good. And grace has been your plan from the beginning. Grace is the only shot we ever had. Grace is the only chance we have to be your people, to be your children. Thank you. Thank you that you're... Your grace and favor upon Rahab didn't stop with just excluding her from the destruction of those around her, but you brought her into your people and adopted her. And then your favor and kindness to her extended in Salmon marrying her and them having a son named Boaz, who then was willing to marry a Moabite girl thrown away by everybody else. And that she gave birth to Obed. That Obed was married and gave birth. They gave birth to Jesse and, and Jesse to David. Thank you, God, that we see the might of your hand working down through generations. Help us to think that way, God. Help us to stop looking at our life in, in hour by hour or even day by day increments, but help us think for legacy. Help us think about the fact that our actions and our choices right now will affect generations. If you wait, 
And you continue in your patience to allow more and more to surrender to you and to come to you in faith. Well, we don't know if you'll come today or it'll be a hundred or a thousand years from now. We don't know. And so help us think in terms of legacy and the way we deal with one another and the way we allocate our time and resources and the way we deal with children. Thank you for Rahab's legacy. Thank you for helping us by your Holy Spirit to think in terms of generations, not just what we feel like doing right now. God, we need your help for that. Thank you for what you show us in this. God, help us yet again to see your, your power, but also your goodness. Either one of those should be enough for us to bow before you, to surrender to and to worship you. But there's both. It's not, we don't have to pick just either one. You are mighty and you are good. And immeasurably so in both. God, help our hearts to continue to be convinced of this. Our minds to be overwhelmed with this truth. And may it lead to wholehearted, joyful worship. You're good and you're worthy of this. Thank you for your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.